Good morning. We're in the text that Lauren read for us, chapter 11, starting with verse 14. And I, I hope that this is becoming a familiar scenario to you that Luke is providing for us as we walk through his gospel. There are many, 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 many moments where what we have read this morning takes place in the ministry of Jesus. He begins to teach. Um, he begins to proclaim truth. A crowd gathers and almost without fail in that setting of a crowd, Jesus does something to display who he is, to reveal his power. In this particular moment, there is a man who is possessed by a demon and he's mute. He can't talk. Now, it's interesting, the reaction of the crowd, and we need to understand why, there's, why some are so amazed. The, the belief of the day was that you needed the, to cast a demon out of someone they needed to be able to proclaim or state the name of the demon. You might remember when Jesus found the man that was living in the tombs, and he asked him, what is your name? He asked the demon, what is your name? And the demon said, my name is Legion, for we are many. The, the belief was that you had to have the person possessed say the name, and that opened the door for the exorcism to happen, for the freedom to happen. Jesus encounters a man who is mute. He can't talk. The demon has prevented him from talking. And Jesus casts the demon out of that man without ever asking the demon's name or giving, making sure the man had the ability to talk. And Luke tells us that there were some in the crowd that were amazed by this. But then he goes on to say that there were others who falsely accused Jesus and then there were some who wanted Jesus to prove himself further. It's interesting to me that, that Matthew tells us that there were Pharisees in this crowd in Matthew's gospel. In Mark's gospel this moment, Mark tells us that there were scribes from Jerusalem. There were those who from Jerusalem, the temple, that were responsible for, for writing and translating the, the scriptures. They had come to where Jesus was, and so this crowd was an eclectic group of people including Pharisees, and we know much about their attitude towards Jesus, what they, who they believed him to be, and then the scribes from, from Jerusalem were there as well. So it's a very eclectic crowd, and Jesus does this miracle, and Luke says some were truly amazed, some were just dumbfounded that he had the ability to do what he did. But there were others in the crowd that made this, this accusation. They, they accused him of working for Satan. Or Beelzebub. Beelzebub is an interesting name. It's a name that had come down, uh, it had morphed over the years, but it, it roots back to, to, a, uh, to a false god, a name of a false god. And it was kind of changed a little bit because the Israelites wanted to mock that false god, and so they, they changed it to the, basically the god of the dung heap. And so it was a term that had become attached to, to Lucifer, to Satan, to the devil. And we see that here, that Jesus recognizes that because he, in his response to the crowd, refers interchangeably, he uses Beelzebub and the name Satan. Some in this crowd believe that Jesus was casting out demons under the authority of Satan. And then there were those in the crowd, others, it tells us, that as a test, they were demanding of him a sign. Now, that's a, that's a phrase that I think we can read over and, and miss what Luke is, is portraying here in this crowd, he's, he's really trying to help us understand Jesus' audience. And I think maybe the obvious takeaway is that we fall into this same crowd today. That is, we're all over the place, maybe in our faith journey. Those that are listening this morning, some would be amazed if, if we were there by what Jesus did. Others would 
not see Jesus for who he is and maybe paint a different picture of him. And some wanted a test. They demanded of him. That tells us where their heart is and what their, their attitude is. They demand of him a sign from heaven. These others just accused you of working for Satan. Do something that proves to us that you're not working for Satan, but actually you work for heaven. You work for Jehovah. Well, Jesus offers the crowd a lesson, and we see this. Again, this should be a familiar thing. Jesus loves to answer questions with, with questions, and he loves to answer questions or demands or accusations by pointing the crowd in the direction that they really need to go. Not where they think they need to go or want to go, but where he wants them and us to go. And so he, he, he offers some kingdom principles some kingdom principles. Now, we've heard this before. Jesus has talked about the kingdom of God. Something's going to happen in this text that I think is significant concerning the kingdom of God. But he points people to this idea that there is a kingdom. And he starts there by saying, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. A house divided against itself falls. If Satan also was divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand. Don't miss that. He's identified that Satan has a kingdom. For you say that I, you're accusing me of driving out demons by Beelzebub, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, who is it that your sons drive out demons? For this reason, your sons, or those who drive out demons in your day, they will be your judges. If I, Jesus, if I drive out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come to you. What's significant of this, about this moment in Jesus' life is he is proclaiming without, without confusion that the kingdom of God is on earth. That it has come to earth. This, this phrase, the finger of God, we, we see this phrase in the Old Testament too. It, it speaks of the power of God. That God's, we might say God's little finger we talk about the arm of the Lord. We talk about the heart of God. We talk about these different human characteristics that God takes on Himself so that we can relate to Him. We can understand Him. And it talks about the arm of, of the Lord has a long reach. You can't get beyond it. Here Jesus says the finger of God. He's not saying that God literally has fingers, but He's saying just the smallest amount of God is enough power to conquer the kingdom of Satan. So he says, if what's really happening here is that I am casting out that demon because I represent the power of God, and like that, I can do what you just saw me do. I, I command the physical, and I command the spiritual, and they obey me. If, what that, if, if that's what just happened, then the kingdom of God is here. That's a significant announcement. A significant clarification of Jesus and His ministry, who He is, and why he's here. And then he gives us this picture. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, now the, the, the traditional, and, and, I, and I stand with this, the traditional um, uh, interpretation or explanation of this text, because of the context, is that this is, he's talking about himself, Jesus is talking about himself, and Satan. He just announced the kingdom of God is here. The finger of God, the power of God is how he does what he does. And he says, when a strong man, let me give you a story. When a strong man, fully armed, 
guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than him, that's Jesus, attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. And then he concludes the lesson with this. Anyone who is not with me is against me. Anyone who does not gather with me scatters. So think with me for a minute just what, what's happening here. This crowd has gathered. They've been hearing the teaching. If you were a part of our, our time together last week, Pastor Matt was taking us through the, the verses before and he was teaching and this crowd is there and a man shows up. Somebody brings him. He shows up. I don't know. But he can't, he can't talk because it's evident that he's possessed by a demon. Jesus sets him free like that. The crowd's amazed. The Pharisees, the scribes, others are going, hold on a second. I know what's going on here. And they're trying to destroy any kind of, of respect or any kind of admiration by the crowd for this rabbi, Jesus, and they accuse him of doing what he's doing in the power of Satan. Jesus responds to that. He responds to those who say, hey, give us some more proof. Give us some more evidence that you are who you say you are. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you this. There's two kingdoms. Satan has a kingdom, and God has a kingdom, and I'm here today to tell you, to affirm again, what you just saw is a display of the kingdom of God come to earth. The Father sent the Son. The Holy Spirit empowered the Son. The Son shows up in the form of an infant in Bethlehem. And He grows to a man and He begins to walk this earth and He begins to teach and He begins to do things that nobody else could do. And He says the kingdom of God is here. God has come to... It stepped into... His creation. The kingdom of God is here. But don't miss, the kingdom of God coming to earth is the kingdom of God stepping into another kingdom. It's stepping into the kingdom of Satan. Some of you will remember there was a battle and, and Satan lost. And part of the consequence of that battle, of losing that battle, was Satan was cast to earth. And right now there's the prince of the power of the air, as he's referred to. He has a certain amount of authority he has weapons, doesn't he? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He has weapons that he can use to capture, to, to gain for himself possessions, to build his kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God has stepped into that. And I'm, I'm proof of that. I'm evidence of that. That's what's really happening right now in front of your eyes. And I want you to understand some principles about the kingdom the kingdom of God. Let me share them with you, ones that I see here. And there's probably more, and you may even think of some as we're, we're studying this together and the Spirit of God speaks to you. I encourage you to write those down. But let me give you four. First of all, a divided kingdom can't stand. Jesus is very clear. In another place, He would say you can't serve two masters. There can't be, there can't be a divided devotion within a kingdom or the kingdom will be destroyed. Within the household, it will fall Victory in a kingdom requires undivided devotion. Now why is that important? Or am I, am, am I uh, implying that the kingdom of God is going to fall? No, I'm not. That's not what he's saying. But the principle that a divided kingdom cannot stand, Jesus wants to reinforce that if whatever kingdom we're a part of, we need to be undivided in our devotion to that kingdom. Because a divided kingdom won't stand. Number two, the kingdom of God has come to earth. It's here. How do we know it's here? 
Well, Jesus makes, makes no excuses, and he, he's not ambiguous. He's very clear all through his ministry that he represents the coming of God's kingdom. He is the fulfillment of the promise, all the promises, from, from Genesis 1 on, pointing to the, this amazing moment where the creator of the universe would step into his creation and live among us and reveal to us who the Father is, so that we can have a relationship with Him. We can join the kingdom of God, the family of God. We can be a part of what God is doing. We've been invited. And He provides us the evidence of all those truths by showing up and walking on this earth. The kingdom of God is here. If you, if you want a, a, an, an umbrella statement, an overarching understanding of everything that Jesus did as you walk through the Gospels and you hear His teaching and you watch His mannerisms and you, you, you witness His displays of power, you, you, you wonder about His response to different things, to Pilate or to, to Peter when he's asking about taxes or to Zacchaeus or, or to the temple Worship, and you, you find yourself wondering, why that way? Why this? What is He doing? If you wonder about His suffering and His rejection and His willingness to take that whip that on His back and His, his, his willingness to walk up the hill and to allow Himself to be crucified. And you, and you wonder, as I have done sometimes, how easy it would have been for Him to call 10,000 angels to come and just wipe everybody out that was, that was doing what they were doing to Him. If you ever wonder, if you, you just want clarity on this, this three years of ministry and His death and burial and resurrection, here's the overarching statement or, or truth. He's bringing the kingdom of God to us. And He's going to do whatever is necessary to bring the kingdom of God to mankind, to human beings. Willing to pay the ultimate price, make the ultimate sacrifice. He says the kingdom of God has come to earth. Number three, Satan, don't miss this, Satan must submit to the kingdom of God. It, there's no question that Satan has been given some authority, he's been given some power. You might re reflect on Job and that scene that's portrayed there for us where Satan comes into the presence of God. It's kind of a strange scene to me. It's a little baffling sometimes when I forget the, these principles of the kingdom. He shows up and he says, hey, he has a dialogue with God and God gives him permission. Do you remember? He gives him some authority to, to impact Job's life. And then Satan comes back after he's done that and Job still is worshiping and loving God, and God gives Satan some freedom. Do you remember? You can do this, but not that. Can't kill him, but boy, you can sure make it. Satan has a certain amount of authority, has a certain amount of power right now. And that's granted to him, if you will, that's allowed to him by the, the king of the kingdom of God for a season. But ultimately, Jesus says here and in many other places as well, but he makes it very clear here that Satan must submit to the kingdom of God. In the same way that that demon had to obey Jesus, he had no other choice. Because Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. And Satan himself is a strong man, but Jesus is stronger. For many of you, one of our favorite verses is, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
Satan must submit to the kingdom of God. And fourth, we must each choose a kingdom. There's application here in Jesus' words as this scene unfolds and he says what he says, he did what he did. He says, anyone who is not with me is against, whoever is not with me is against me. He says, you got to make a choice. You got to choose which kingdom you're going to submit to, be devoted to, to live under. Anyone who does not gather with me scatters. There's a great reference there, a, a, a revealing reference to the quality of the characters of Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. Satan's kingdom is characterized by destruction and breaking things apart, broken relationships, broken devotion, selfish living with no regard to anyone else, scattering. Jesus is about gathering. He's about calling sheep to himself. So he says, you, you make a choice. Everyone, anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me is scattering for Satan. I don't know if this makes sense to anybody, but it did to me for some reason. There's no, there's no spiritual Switzerland. There's, there's no neutral ground. Jesus is clear. You choose this or you choose that. You cannot serve two masters. I want to pause. We'll come back and we'll pick up the text in just a minute. But I want us to pause. We need to orient our hearts. And I, I want you to join with me and our worship team this morning as we lift our voices to Jesus Christ. Keeping these principles in mind as we sing these songs, as we, we stand in His love and we proclaim His love for us. And we speak, we sing of, of the resurrection, what, what, it's, what it's done for us, how it's moved us, Colossians says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son He loves, Jesus Christ. So I invite you to join me as we worship our King this morning. Thank you. i got to ask, have you had a resurrection day? Wherever you're at, who, whoever you are, I know watching are people that are part of this, normally part of this church family, but there are also those who are, are watching this morning that maybe we've never met. And I, I would fail you if I didn't ask you that question. Have you had a resurrection day? Have you chosen the kingdom that you're going to live in, live for? This idea of a resurrection day, I, I hope you heard in that song, it's the gospel, it's the, the plan of God to send Jesus to come and die on the cross in our place was buried, and He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And He offers that resurrection day to any who will choose Him, choose His kingdom by faith. In our text this morning, Jesus continues His lesson. He, wa he really wants to be clear, and it's fair to say He always does, but I, I was struck this week in studying this that, that he really he's moving us in a direction. He's moving this crowd, and he's moving me, he's moving you towards a conclusion. He says in verse 24, when an unclean spirit comes out of a man, he, he says, let me just address the, the spiritual kingdom, the spiritual realm that, that is taking place right now. When an unclean spirit, a demon, comes out of a man, it roams through waterless places, desert. It's looking for rest. We might say that it's looking for purpose. It's looking for somehow it can serve its kingdom. It can bring destruction. It can scatter. It's looking someplace where it can do 
what it wants to do in order to try to tear down the kingdom of God, to destroy what God loves. He's looking for rest. He's looking for a place to settle, and he's not finding it. That evil spirit then says, I'll go back to my house where I came, came from. I'll go back to that life that I was indwelling and tormenting. And returning, it finds that the house, the life, has been swept and put in order. Some changes have been made. And then it goes and it brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself. It gets back up. It gets reinforcements. And they enter that life, that house, and they settle down there. Now, it sounds nice. Doesn't that sound pleasant? The house is cleaned up. The furniture's been rearranged. Some things were removed. Some new things were brought in. The house is, wow, you know, that's gone. That season, whatever was going on in my life, that's great. I'm going to make some changes. I'm going I'm to make some changes that's going to make my life better. Beautiful. The demon comes back. He sees what's happening. He brings seven more with him. He settles down, and as a result, that man's life, that person's End condition, final condition, last condition is worse than it was before. What is Jesus saying? He's, I believe He's telling us we cannot resist Satan's kingdom alone in our own strength, in our own, in our own ways. It really bothers me when I hear even Christians, this idea of I'm just going to get in the face of Satan, I'm going to stand up to him. I'm going to tell him what for. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There's no question that Jesus conquers Satan, that his kingdom conquers, conquers Satan's kingdom. But I do not have it within myself, even as a follower of Jesus in my own strength, to conquer Satan, to bring about transformation, true change. I've heard this phrase, and you probably have too, it's like we're on our best day, we're just rearranging the furniture. It's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, running around, okay, what are we going to do? We have this, let's, well, let's make sure they're all... The Titanic still goes down. We cannot resist Satan's kingdom alone. We can't live this, this life. I think in part he's referring to this idea that I can kind of somehow live in both kingdoms. I can kind of take the best of both. We read this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter, who understood what, it, what it, he had experienced battling with Satan, hadn't he? On more than one occasion. You remember Jesus even calling Peter Satan. Satan wants to sow you like wheat. He wants to rule you, to have you. At one point he calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're allowing Satan to have his way with you. Peter would write later in life this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be serious. Take this seriously. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he's looking for anyone that he can devour, anyone he can scatter, tear apart, consume. Peter says, resist him, and here's the key, be firm in the faith. Now this phrase, uh, it, it's, it's legitimate to Think of the word faith that it's talking about my personal faith. But the word, the phrase he uses here, the wording is bigger than that. When he says be firm in the faith, it refers to the body of truth. It refers to the gospel. It refers to what we know to be true and what we put our faith in, which would include the text that we're looking at this morning. He says be firm in the faith. Stand solidly on the truth. 
Not in your own strength, in your own power, in your own charisma, in your own wisdom, quote, wisdom. He says, resist him by being firm, standing firm in the faith, standing on the truth. Because you know that the same sufferings, this is nothing new, are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. This is everyone's situation. But remember this, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory, the kingdom of God, in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. After you have suffered a little, the dominion, the kingdom, the rule of everything belongs to Him forever. So there's a kingdom reference even here. Peter understands this idea of, of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And he says the kingdom of Satan is real. Satan is real. His intents are real. His purpose, what he wants to do. And if he can, he's going to come at you with his demons or himself or just the system that he's created in our world using the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, everything that belongs to this world that is passing away has nothing to do with the Father. He's going to use that to come after you. What do I do? Well, I cannot resist Satan's kingdom alone, his rule over me or his influence over me, but I can if I stand firm in the faith. The faith. I stand on the truth of God's Word that I've put my confidence and my hope in. So when we sing a song, this is my resurrection day, that's a part of the faith. That's a part of this truth. That when I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I trust in Him, that I experience the, the, the benefits, the consequences of the crucifixion and the resurrection. So when Jesus died on the cross and He covered price of sin, I benefit from that when I put my faith in that, and the price of my sin is covered. And when he rose from the dead and he conquered death, so that not even death is an enemy, death has no power over him, I benefit from that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that death no longer has power over me. I am going to die. This body is going to die. What you know, those that know me, that what you see, this, I mean, you can tell already it's dying, right? It's getting older, it's falling apart, I can tell you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to stop working. And me, my spirit, is going to be separated from this body. And this body will turn back to dust, but I will spend eternity with Jesus Christ in His kingdom, under His rule. Because I benefit from His death, burial, and resurrection when I stand firm on the faith, the truth of God's promises. In verse 27 of our text, Jesus just said these words, and it's, it's hard, you know, without being there, without video, um, and I, you know, we talk, we joke about this, you know, maybe there's going to be videos in heaven, or, you know, we used to say um, rentals, but we don't do that anymore. Um, I don't know, files. There's going to be, maybe there's going to be video files in heaven that we're going to watch on some app on our phone. I don't know. No, we're not going to. But we joke, man, I want to be able to, to go back to these moments and maybe we won't care. But right now, and as a finite being in my life right here, I would so love to be in this crowd. And what is happening right now is he, is he speaks these words. 
Are there people mumbling? Are there people clumping together of like mind, kind of figuring out what they're going to do next or how they're going to answer him? Or, or some are just, maybe some are weeping and some are, oh, I can't believe that, 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 this, that he, the kingdom of God is here and that God is offering us this relationship with him. I can't believe that I can be set free finally from what I've experienced so far in my life. It's, it's probably eclectic. It's probably, the scribes are over there trying to look up verses to make their point, and the Pharisees are, as usual, probably plotting to kill him or get rid of him. But this crowd is, is absorbing what he's been saying, this idea of these two kingdoms and the choice that needs to be made. And in verse 27, as he's saying these things, as he's finishing these verses up through what we know as verse 26, all of a sudden, a lady shouts out, a woman from the crowd, she's a part of the crowd. Maybe she's watching the reaction. Maybe she's seeing these groups kind of come together and the discussions that's happening. Maybe she's making an assessment. The crowd's with him, the crowd's not with him. Are they going to get it? Are they not going to get it? Is he done? Is... But she just decides in this moment that she's going to lift up her voice. And she, she says she raises her voice and she says to him loudly, the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you are blessed. Is she paying attention at all to what's, un what's unfolding here? Is she completely missed what he's saying? Or is she connecting to what he's saying? She makes this declaration over the noise of whatever is happening, and she makes this statement, and Jesus says to her and to the crowd, he doesn't, he doesn't disagree with her, that his mom, Mary, is blessed because of the man that he has turned out to be, who he has turned out to be, that Mary, in fact, is the mother of the Messiah, and she's blessed. It was, she, had a, she had a relationship with Jesus that maybe no other human did. Now, I'm not a mom, never have been, never will be, but I've observed my wife with our five kids, and now I'm watching my, my daughters with their children, and there is a bond, there is an intimacy, there's a, there's a special connection between a mother and a and a child. We had some um, of our family over yesterday, and, and when, a, when a child gets tired, when it gets hungry, when, it, when nothing else will satisfy, what will satisfy? Mom. They want mom. And sometimes they just want to be held by mom. They don't need anything. They just want to be with mom. Mary nursed Jesus as a baby. She held him. She cradled him. The Word of God tells us that she contemplated in her heart these events and what had been told to her and who he was. And she gave him the name Emmanuel, God with us. And she took this journey with him. And this woman says, man, that woman is blessed because she got to nurture you and nurse you and raise you up. She's so blessed because of this relationship. And Jesus says, without saying anything, he's not disagreeing, but he does say this. He says, even more, those here's that, okay, that's true. But here's even those who are even more blessed than that. What does it say in your Bible? Those who hear the Word of God and keep it are blessed. Yes, Mary, she's my earthly mother. I have a connection, a bond to her. It's, it's, it's amazing intimacy that this relationship I've had with her and her with me. But let me, let me open this up. Let me tell you what real blessing looks like. It looks like this. You hear the Word of God and you obey it. Well, it tells us, Luke tells us that at this moment the crowd is increasing. More people are coming. Word is getting out. This is happening. And he turns to the crowd in a very politically correct way. He says, this generation is an evil generation. I wonder how far would, I would get 
I started every Sunday morning. Those of you sitting here are evil. Those of you watching on camera, you're all evil. Well, Jesus does. He says, this evil generation, the, the, the cultural mindset, the worldview that's happening right here in this part of the world that I'm interacting with is evil. Why is it evil, Jesus? Because it demands a sign. It demands a sign. It's telling God to reveal Himself on their terms. The created is telling the Creator, well, we'll believe in you if you meet our demands, if you fulfill our expectations, if you give us what we need to finally say, okay, yeah, I guess you are the King and this is your kingdom. It demands a sign, but Jesus says no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The sign's already been given. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be one to this generation. Jonah was in the, whale, the belly of the, the whale for how many days? Three days. And then he was resurrected and spit out on land. Jesus has already been talking and He will continue to announce that He will be in the earth for three days and He will be raised from the dead after three days. That's all the sign you're going to get. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on to speak of the Queen of the South. In the Old Testament, we know her as the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment when we all stand before God, and she'll rise up in judgment of the men of this generation, this crowd right here, and she's going to condemn you. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, someone greater than Solomon is here now. She heard about the wisdom of Solomon, and she went out of her way as a ruler of another country, she put everything on hold and came to hear the Word of God exercised through His servant Solomon. She came to hear it. Some of you will remember, she said how blessed it would be to sit at the table of Solomon and hear the wisdom of God all the time. i got to go back to rule my country, but oh, I just want to hear the truth of God he says, the men, of, the men of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, will rise up in judgment with this generation as well. And they will condemn you too, this crowd, because they repented. They repented at Jonah's proclamation. When they heard the truth, when they heard God's rescue, repent, turn away from, and I will. When they heard that, they repented. They stopped the way they were living. They left that kingdom behind and said, we will join God's kingdom and look, I tell you that someone greater than Jonah is here. Solomon, that's great. Jonah, that's great. But someone is here greater than both of them. Let me just finish with this last principle, this kingdom principle. We choose the kingdom by our obedience. See, the one that you, that you choose to obey, Satan or Jesus. And you say, wait a minute, I would never obey Satan. Well, when you understand this world system, the lust of the flesh, the, 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 the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, you see the world system. You see the kingdoms that are around you. Those are under His influence. He's shaping them. And then there's the kingdom of God who is being shaped, who is, is built upon Jesus Christ, His life, His words, His teaching, His very nature as God. We choose which one by our obedience. 
So when I give into the lust of the flesh, I give into the lust of the eyes, I give into the pride of life, I'm choosing what kingdom I'm serving. You cannot serve two masters, God and money. When I choose to serve money, I've chosen my kingdom. When I choose to stand firm on the faith, I've chosen to be fully devoted to God's kingdom as a kingdom citizen. You see, it is possible for someone who is in the kingdom of God, someone who has had a resurrection day, can see the kingdom of Satan, see the kingdom of this world, and go, that looks kind of attractive, and I think I want to be a part of that. One of the things that has been revealed to me, and I think to many of you it's been made clear, that as a world, with the coronavirus as a world, we are a world of kingdoms. Globally, nationally, statewide, county, city. We have these kingdoms, and, 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 I, and my intent is not to debate the, the good or the bad of those kingdoms, but, but that's, that's how we live and how we operate, by creating these kingdoms. And Satan is working all through them. And I'm not saying that they're all bad, but Satan wants to destroy. He wants to scatter. He wants to tear apart. He wants to break down through any way that he can through the kingdoms of men, through his kingdom. While Jesus says, I want you in my kingdom, and the way that you join my kingdom and you live in my kingdom is you hear the word of God and you obey it. It's certainly blessed to... (laughs) had to be blessed to be the mother of Jesus. But he says that blessing even more so is offered to anyone who says, I hear hear what you're saying, Jesus, and I'm going to obey it. You remember, some of you will remember that in John chapter 14, he said it this way, so clearly. Jesus said to his disciples, and he's in a context, he's talking about the kingdom. He's about ready to go to his death and burial and resurrection. And the kingdom is going to be established in the hearts of men on, on this world. And he's talking about that and the Holy Spirit and what it looks like. And in the midst of it, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Our love, our devotion, our loyalty to the kingdom of God is expressed in obedience to His Word. We choose our kingdom by our obedience. I want to invite Jan to come up because we're going to pray. We're going to have an extended time of prayer. And, and I know it might be chaotic where you are. I get it. I've, I've, I've done this from the other end as well at home. And if there's kids or grandkids, uh, I, I get it. But I'm going to ask you to, to do something. If you would just stand, if you would stand where you're at, and, and, and it's just a physical posturing of, of just standing and, and say, we're together. We're going to lift our voices. Jan is going to lead us in lifting our hearts to God. And, and she's, she's going to pray for what God leads her, but I promise you there's going to be elements of memorial in there and, and, and of those who have, have paid a price to give us freedom. And there's going to be elements of memorial of what Jesus has done so that we can have freedom. There's going to be a cry that we everyone who's listening, would choose the kingdom of God. That we would embrace the truth that God has revealed to us through Jesus Christ as He stood before that crowd and as He stands before us now through His Word. He's asking us to obey Him. And it's a response of faith. It's a response of faith. This act that we do right now together as we stand and we pray, it's an expression of our faith. Stand firm in the faith. And in doing so, we can resist the devil and we can live as kingdom citizens. Let's pray together, please.